Welcome to That's Orgasmic, a podcast discussing the orgasmic and not-so-orgasmic moments of all things sex, relationships, and mental health. I am your host, Emily Duncan, and I'm a sexologist who provides online sex coaching sessions to help you cultivate sexual wellness. Today, I'm joined with Selena, who is a relationship and sex therapist working from Gadigal Land, Sydney. They work with individuals and couples, unpack everything under the sun about sex and relationships, from desire discrepancy to communication issues to what even monogamy is these days. So thank you so much for joining me on That's Orgasmic today. No worries. Like, thank you for inviting me here. I'm so excited to connect and to chat and to see what comes up. Yeah, no, I'm super keen too. Um, so we obviously decided we wanted to talk about like some common myths and misconceptions about sex, relationships, and also within our own work, uh, which I'm super excited about because I feel like I've touched on them throughout the podcast, but I've never actually, you know, dedicated an episode to actually breaking them down. Um, so I'd first love to know, I guess, like the most common myth I feel like you see or come across or misconception with the clients that you work with. Yeah, yeah, I would say the most common myth or misconception that I come up against in sessions is that there is a a normal when it comes to sex or sexuality and everyone else is normal except you and how you're feeling. And like this comes in many different, I guess, like shapes and sizes. So like particular kinks or having low desire, experiencing painful penetrative sex or feeling like you don't know what you're doing. And the belief that everyone else is having normal, hot, amazing and regular sex, except for you, you know, like I hear this question, I think a few times a week, you know, is this normal? And I think my response is always almost the same, that there is no normal and Mm -hmm. your sexuality is however you want to define it. Um, And I think it can take a while for that to really sink in for a lot of people because for so much of our lives we're indirectly taught and like shoved down our throats that there is a right way to have sex how often you should have it what it looks like uh what it should how what you should look like and how you should ultimately perform um Mm. i think it's also compounded to a degree by the reality that we don't often have many conversations or productive conversations about sex, let alone our struggles with sex. So I can see the tide changing and that we're more open to sharing vibrator recommendations or affirming that uh, sexuality is an important part of well-being. But I don't think we're still at the point yet where we can tell the people in our lives that, you know, sometimes I feel really vulnerable during sex or sometimes penetration physically hurts sometimes or that I'm worried that I'm putting on a performance and not really present you know Mm. so we're taking these like baby steps into like acknowledging and really celebrating sexuality but that also needs to come with acknowledging that sometimes figuring out sex or sexuality is hard absolutely I love everything you just said, especially when you mentioned productive conversations about sex. 
often people, even if you're talking about sex all the time, doesn't actually mean it's a productive yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love I love that the way you worded that. Um, and the same with me and the clients I've seen. It's the same thing that comes up every time. Am yeah. I normal? Like, is yeah. this is this yeah. a normal experience? Because we're not having conversations that I guess are diverse enough in sex and sexuality to be able to show everybody the full breadth of what's out there because it's just everyone's got this such a narrow little idea of what sex you know should look like um and it's just so not it yeah and that it's like so associated with like shame or stigma if we're not having the right amount of sex or if we're not doing it the right way you know Mm. so we often like put up these fronts of just like oh yes I'm having so much sex and it's so great it's so hot I'm orgasming all the time but like I, I feel like that's also just like a really isolating way to be in like relationships and friendships with other people if we're not really being honest about our experiences yeah absolutely and I feel like honestly most people concerns are just even like that they should be having sex and how much sex and it doesn't matter if it's good sex or bad sex um Mm. as long as they're having it then they're okay yeah yeah and I feel like that's such a common one that comes up when working with like low desire or no desire at all you know it's just like I want to get to once a week or some like arbitrary number like three times a week whatever it is but there's no care or I guess no attention or emphasis brought to the quality of the actual sexual experience you know just because you're having sex three times a week doesn't mean it's good sex mm-hmm. you know yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I loved that. I also want to touch on sex therapy bit because I think a lot of people, they hear sex therapy and they're like, what is that? Like, what does that look like? I've had people tell me like, are you like literally like in like the bedroom with them, giving them, watching them on camera? Like are you giving them like sex positions to do this and that? I'm really kind of like, I guess like more coaching them, like it's a sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess what for you does sex therapy and relationship therapy look like within your session so for any listeners out there who are curious about this um can have a bit more of an understanding yeah like I I absolutely get that so often too when like you know you're introducing yourself and your work and like that question of like oh are you like touching people are you like naked as well you know Mm -hmm. um and yeah I think it's like such a huge reflection of how needed visibility and representation is you know in this space um but I guess like yeah the content of my sex therapy sessions is like varies from like person to person of course and everyone's concerns and context are so different and like of course it also changes whether I'm working with individuals or couples um but the process generally remains the same, you know? So it's like I create an open, non-judgmental and affirming space for people to unpack more about themselves and what they're needing and wanting. You know, we're unpacking how we feel about sex, our bodies, relationships and everything in between and understanding um, what has contributed to these beliefs, you know, and what continues to do so And is it aligned with the person we want to be or the relationship we want to have? And then ultimately breaking it down, the steps of like, how can we get there? And I guess like sprinkled in with like lots of validation, lots of encouragement, lots of reassurance. Um, 
and yeah that's that's often what they look like yeah amazing and I, yeah I guess it's good for for people to hear because I just know so many people have such a misconception with it or sometimes don't even see it as a legitimate type of therapy I've had some people be referred and they're like oh no I'd rather see like a counsellor that has no experience in it yeah. at all but they just see I guess sometimes the title sex therapist or sexologist and just like Ooh. get this I don't know they're just I don't know if it's a lack of education or yeah yeah and I think it's interesting as well because I think a lot of a good chunk of my clients also will have their own separate counselors or psychologists for more general mm. life things and they'll come to my space and just say like oh I just don't feel comfortable talking about it with my psych or my counselor you know I don't feel like they have the skills or I don't feel like I feel like they would I feel like it's awkward you know mm. um yeah, so and I think it's a it's a powerful opportunity to provide a space where we can like just like bring our full selves you know because when we have our general cycle our general counselor it's a shame that then we can't we're leaving a part of ourselves and a part of our sexualities or whatever we're experiencing at the door you know because it doesn't feel comfortable um so it's i, I think such a great space because I think if you could talk about sex with someone, you could talk about anything. You know, yeah. a lot of my conversations are really about like the logistics of sex. It's just like about stress or like family stuff or like communication skills and things like that as well. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's also a big myth with sex therapy that we're like constantly talking about sex. Oh yeah, absolutely. The amount of time, literally every client, because you start obviously with their sexual question, problem, whatever it is. And then it's like, okay, well, how is everything else in your life now interacting with this? And then we've got to go and talk about all these other things, um, which they don't even think to associate with. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it happens all the time. I would love to break down some of these like myths, myths, misconceptions. We obviously wrote a little list that we've, you know, got here. Um, and the first one here is that vulva owners should orgasm through penetration. Mm, yeah I I think that one is just like it's such a remnant of porn you know yeah. that we think that we still think women or like vulva owners should just like orgasm magically after two seconds of penetration you know and that, I, I think there's obviously so much pressure and shame if we don't and this weird hierarchy as well we seem to have around penetration orgasms being better than clitoral like solo clitoral orgasms yeah. you know um and uh laurie mint uh wrote a book called becoming clitorate i don't know mm -hmm. if you've read that one but like they have done so much amazing research and work around this space um and like, i'm trying to remember one of the stats um i think it was like less than two percent of women masturbate exclusively by putting something in the vagina yet yeah. we expect women to orgasm from penetration alone with men mm -hmm. you know yeah and it's so backwards it's it's so backwards I interviewed I interviewed Laurie actually like probably like two years ago when I was like before I even like was started studying sexology and like Laurie was amazing like literally my mom was just in there like blown and I just it's so sad that it's so centered around penetrative sex and clearly around a penis 
because when we're looking at this, it's very heteronormative, especially I feel like when we're yeah. looking at, you know, that everybody, not everybody, but like vulva owners should be orgasming yeah. through penetration. Um, and the amount of people, when I tell them like the stats will be like only, you know, 20% of vulva owners will be able to orgasm through penetration. They're like, what? They're like, well, why do we keep, you know, trying to have sex this way? Or when I, you know, have people who only orgasm through clitoral like stimulation, I'll do that during masturbation. I'm like, oh, cool. So you're doing that during sex? And they're like, no. I'm like, so why aren't you touching your clitoris during sex or having clitoral stimulation? Like we, yeah, we just put this, just so much pressure to have this orgasm. It's like this golden orgasm, even though like it, like it just doesn't make sense when, once you know everything, of course it doesn't make sense. (laughs) But yeah. And I think it's also, it, it's attached like this also interesting myth that I've noticed in sessions as well that masturbation is also like a totally different disconnected experience from partner sex and that the way yeah. that you experience uh or like the process or the steps that you go through masturbation is just like not relevant or not important mm. to how you would do it in partnered sex and I, I don't understand necessarily where that came from you know because it's obviously like just your body experiencing pleasure and learning how to experience pleasure in a certain way um but I, I think it was just something that I came up against in a lot of my sessions. I'm just like, of course, how you masturbate should translate over into how you have partnered sex, you know, because that's the realm or the space in which you've learned about these things about your body, you know, and what mm. feels good and what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, those neural pathways that you're developing around how you experience arousal in your body, how you experience orgasm. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much like people, I mean, even just using the term solo sex, I think changes things. Like people see masturbation as its own thing, but if we change it to like solo sex, of course you're going to pull, if you're bringing a partner or partners in, bring in the, what you're doing in the solo sex. Like it's, yeah. it's still sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's still sex. It's all like under that same umbrella of just like erotic touch, you know, or sensual touch or however you want to explain you know label it or talk about it Mm. it's still just like that intimate relationship that you have with your body in this like certain sensual erotic experience yeah absolutely and I guess for anyone who's listening who has sex with vulva owners definitely recommend attention to the clitoris asking (laughs) them how they like to be pleasured and not just trying to focus on penetration if you engage in penetrative sex so I'd love to move to the next um like myth we've got here and that is that men want sex more than women Mm, yeah and I I I think there there is an element actually of truth in this one but Mm -hmm. I think when we take into the context um social and cultural systems in that it is more socially acceptable for men to want sex more than women so in turn they can express more often that they want more sex. You know, it's not solely that that they want more sex because they need it or -hmm. because they'll get blue balls, you know. Um, Generally, our society and our culture is set up in a way uh, that makes it okay for men to want sex and to want it more. You know, they aren't shamed for it. It's an affirming part of their manhood and their social status and, 
the uh, existing cultural narrative is that they are entitled to it as mm. well and and that opens like a whole other can of worms Absolutely. around rape culture and patriarchy but I, I think the idea behind it is that you know just speaking in like a general heterosexual cultural context you know sex is something that women give to men and not something they can want for themselves you know sex our sexuality is for others and for others to consume and something that we put on show and part of our emotional and physical labor as women and not something that we can want for ourselves Mm. you know yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, it's funny because one thing I just noticed growing up is because I always had this idea in my head and I don't know if it's just changing with like the younger generations but everyone that you know I was talking to that was in like heterosexual relationships when they'd get to a certain point in their relationship whether they'd be like six months in or a year it was always the women wanting sex more than men and it was just I was I just remember all this being like what is going on like I thought this was meant to be like you know the other way around and I've just had so many conversations around this that it's it, it isn't like this and it's like been very confusing I know for some people to navigate and especially when they hold this idea in their head um and then it it doesn't you know it isn't that way yeah yeah and it's I I think that question of like are we actually having sex that we want you know because like desire and the the desire for sex is ultimately like reward incentive system you know so the more that you are having sex that you want the more that you would want it yeah of course but a lot of our sexual experiences are geared towards um following like heterosexual sex still in this same kind of idea um it's about what men want men leading the way um following whatever else like whatever the script is that we've learned through porn Mm. and I I think it's a good thing that I've seen in a lot of um healthy loving supportive relationships that the script does turn a little bit where women feel safe enough and supported enough to kind of chase after what they want Mm. that they want it more you know um and it it takes a while you know you can take like I think as you said like six months or like even longer you know for a lot of women like huge generalization but like a lot of women to feel that I think emotional safety Mm. in these relationships to say what they want without guilt or shame or um consequences yeah I think that's a really, really good point. I guess kind of jumping off this, I know that one um, that you mentioned was that no desire means that you're broken. And I really, like, I see this so often that people just, you know, if they're not desiring sex, they think that something is wrong with them. Or if they did want to know anymore that they are broken. Um, Are you able to touch on this one a bit? Yeah, and I think it's similar to what we touched on earlier around how when we talk about sex and desire, that we're not just talking about, like, actual, the physical act of sex. You know, we're taking inventory of the rest of our lives and how things, you know, interconnect and affect and influence each other. You know, I did 
um, a recent Instagram like little post or blog about this as well. You know that we often see or we often think of desire as like right place, right time. You know, but reality, it's like ten million different things that are like affecting each other. You know, like our physical health, mental health, how we feel that day, how close we feel to our partner, um, and so like our beliefs about sex, our beliefs about us, our bodies, and whether or not we're having a good body day, and you know, and just there's so many factors that fall on top of each other and need to line up in order for us, for many of us, to want to have sex. And no desire is often like a very valid response to the many stresses that we experience in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the the phrase that I say most often in therapy is just like, it makes sense. You know, it yeah. makes sense that you don't feel like having sex after arguing with your partner or you don't feel like having sex after a stressful week or having a bad body day or whatever it is, you know, it makes sense because there are other things in your life that kind of might be taking precedence or might be pushing on your breaks, you know, that we're just like sex is not really a priority. It's just not front of mind right now. And that's okay, you know, um, insofar as it's okay for ourselves and our partners and everything's um, clear or like well-communicated um but that it's also just a part of being human and the human experience that sexuality or desire ebbs and flows Mm. yeah no definitely I think a lot of people just think that desire is meant to be a feeling like hunger that you're just meant to have it and that when you have it you need to act on it to you know fulfill that need and it's just not the case. Like, of course, if you're, you know, stressed or you've got other things going on in your life, you've had no time for self-care, you've had a fight with your partner, you've got this, you know, you're looking in the mirror and you're like, you know, I'm just not enjoying my body today. What? Like, why would you want sex? And people just think that for some reason that this desire for sex is just going to overpower everything and then they beat themselves up about that and get more stressed. <laughs> it's like, of course yeah. you're not going to want yeah. sex. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think it's also like around that labeling of sex drive that we often used to use. I guess some people still use it to this day, that it's just like this drive that you constantly have, like, yeah, to to eat or sleep or whatever it is. But like, it's just not that. It's just not that, really. You know, in theory, we could go the rest of our lives without having sex. And in theory, we'd be fine. Yeah. We would be, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're not going to die if we don't have it. We're not going to, like, in theory, like, hugely suffer if we don't have sex. It might be a, a boring life or it might be, you know, just, like, not great. But in theory, physically, emotionally, you would be fine if you don't. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I've had some people say they're just like, you know, I'm okay if I, you know, never have sex again um and I'm like that's if that you know genuinely like if you're okay with that like you don't have to have sex like you don't yeah if you don't desire it that that is okay too but then they will have that guilt or that shame because there's this societal standard that says you need to be having sex and Mm. the, the issue isn't necessarily yeah coming from I guess within it's more the external things that are coming in like you need to do this 
Yeah. And, and with that, I think there's also this part around sex positivity being conflated with you must be like fully liberated and having sex all the time and having yeah. amazing, hot, passionate sexual experiences. And um, I came up against it in a session one time, you know, where I think I, I was telling my client, oh, it's totally fine if you don't want to have sex. Like that similar spiel that we kind of just went over, that it's totally fine if it's just not on the priority list right now. And there was like this dissonance, like all this confusion on their end that they thought I was here to ultimately like pressure them or convince them mm. to want to have sex more, mm-hmm. you know. And like obviously we unpacked that, but there was just like this, um, yeah, interesting conflation that, sex positivity it goes like shoving sex down everyone's throat you know but really it's just like acceptance of like everyone's sexual expressions and whatever it is everyone's wanting insofar as it's obviously consensual and above board like that Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I've definitely seen that on social media as well where people especially like people who are being really sex positive but is obviously like very sexual down that one end of sex positivity and like kind of neglecting that other end of like if you don't want to use sex toys that's fine if you know if you don't want to have sex that's also fine like there's it's embracing the whole spectrum of sexuality yeah yeah which is like so huge and I think such a it shouldn't be such a mind-blowing concept that Mm. every however you experience sexuality however you feel about your sexuality is fine you know, if you don't want to have it, that's fine. If you want to have lots of it, that's fine. You know? Yeah. yeah. And that's okay, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Another, I guess, myth that I would like to unpack is that penis size matters because I still see this coming up all the time, <laughs> um, especially for penis owners. They still, yeah. probably because they think that, you know, um, especially that if their sex is around penetration that, penetrative orgasms matter yeah that therefore penis size matters Mm. yeah and it's it's such a frustrating one because like I I I think a lot of men and a lot of penis owners are put in an awful spot where the size of your penis is like reflective or indicative of your manhood or your status you know or like how well you can please your partner and we make jokes about like big dick energy and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, know? you see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it obviously paints this awful kind of structure of just, like, big dicks are what we love and what is great and what is symbolic of a good, successful sexual experience, you know. And um, I feel like we're slowly coming out of the other side now where it's, like, penis size is, like, one of the last, like, the least important things that matters you know what's more important is like how uh how communicative you are how patient you are how like how passionate you are whatever it is you know um and I I, I've worked I do a lot of work with men and penis owners and like erection difficulties and I think a lot of our conversations are around like how um simultaneously like penis centric sex can be but also like how simultaneously so avoidant of it you know like we often hold it up like how long penises last as the measure of good sex Mm -hmm. you know we use it as like the defining point of when 
penetration or like you know sex uh supposedly starts and finishes mm-hmm. you know but we're also so avoidant of talking about like the reality of having genitals that you have no control over you know when you have no control over how it looks or how it works or how long it lasts and I, I think it would be quite dehumanizing and I like re- by reducing people down to how their genitals look or perform you know mm. and I think we we're coming a long way for vulva, vulva owners by encouraging diversity, by like vulva galleries and vulva photo shoots. And it's so beautiful and it's so exciting to see. But penises, no matter their size, are important too, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's really important to kind of incorporate into the conversation, not just that it's like it do- like penis size doesn't matter. But like for, for some people it, it does because of a lot of like social internalisation, of course. Mm-hmm. But recognizing that that's not the entirety of the story, you know. Yeah, and I think it also brings forward a conversation around what sex looks like and what it can Ooh. look like and what people think it should look like. Um, yeah. Because I just, yeah, I just know so because because honestly, like what we're taught and how we're brought up, it's very much around penetration I'll even have like I had a conversation yesterday on a podcast about one of the questions was like um how do lesbians have sex like because everything's so centered around (laughs) penetration and so centered around a penis and if you take a penis away like what do you do (laughs) and it's just there's I I guess one thing that I love to do is challenge how people see sex and get Mm. them to think about or look at your you know your sexual menu at the moment and let's go get like a yes no maybe list or something and let's increase this sexual menu and that's still going to count as sex because people want to make it you know count um and often as soon as we start including lots of different sexual acts and Mm -hmm. I guess broadening that definition whether you've got doesn't matter like the anatomy you're working with for starters and then also whether it's erect or not or the size of it you're going to be able to just have I feel like just a lot more of a liberating sexual experience because it's not this little box that you've got that it has to fit inside this and that that script yeah and and the importance of like variety as well Mm. you know that once I think we've taken so much of this script from porn you know that there are like steps to follow you know, you make out, you grab a butt here or there, you grab another body part, you take clothes off, and then X, Y, Z happens, and then you're at penetrative sex, you know, yes. and that happens for a certain amount of time until a penis owner ejaculates, you know, mm-hmm. or orgasms. And it it's just, like, such a, yeah, absolutely, like, narrow view of, you know, our bodies and how we interact with each other or can interact with each other. And I think it's always one of my favorite conversations as well, like opening up that sexual menu, opening up the sexual script of just like if you were having sex that you wanted, or if we like totally wiped the slate clean, what would you be doing? How would you approach it? You know, who would initiate? Where would it be? How long would it last? You know, what would you be wearing? What would you be doing? And like just being able to kind of construct or DIY you know, your own sexual experiences. And I feel like that's so much more fun, so much more connecting and ex- exciting than 
okay, they're touching me here. That means I need to take my clothes off and we're going to jump straight into penetration, Mm. you know. Yeah, people are so in the motions when it comes to sex. Mm. Like, you know, not in their bodies, not being mindful, not just, I guess, feeling, I don't know, you know, feeling the feels. They're just like, okay, this is, this is it. And it's like, they're just on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like brushing your teeth or doing the dishes at this yeah. point for, for many people. Yeah. It's just like this script that we've yeah absolutely inherited that we, we don't really think about how we can have sex for ourselves, you know, or how we can do it differently because we haven't been shown necessarily how we can do it differently and you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this tied into another like misconception we had here, which is that um, for those who have sex with a penis, that that it's over when a penis owner ejaculates, which just isn't the case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and like it's yeah, so performance oriented, places yeah. so much pressure on that that penis owner, and it's just boring. You know, like there's. Um, a quote that came to mind by uh, Esther Perel, who we all love, you know, and she said, like, each time sex is dictated by the penis, you're missing the point, you know. I love that. I actually have not – I don't know how I haven't heard that before. Yeah, it was, it was like, on a very that. niche podcast. Yeah, and I yeah. was just, like, so obsessed. Um, And, like, it's, like, obviously not to devalue the penis. No, it's still yeah. important, yeah. of course. But, like, it's asking that question of, like, what is the point of mm. this sexual experience? Why do we have sex and who is it for? You know, is it actually mm. for ourselves or is it just, are we just playing the role of someone who has sex, you know, mm. and what we think that looks like? Yeah, I love that question you just kind of posed there. Something for, like, people listening to really to mm. think about. I love episodes like that where you get to reflect and think about your own sexuality. <laughs> Um, another misconception here is that if a vulva is wet or like lubricated or if a penis is erect, that, that means they want to have sex. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, absolutely not like straight out of the gate. Absolutely not. Um, lubrication or erection are both signs of like that physical, physiological arousal and not psychological desire. You know, and they like they both often happen at the same time. They both often happen very closely, but they're both very different experiences. You know, so uh, the distinction between the two is that like arousal is like reflexive. You know, it's in your body. We don't have control over it. It's like the physiological experience of your body preparing for sex. And that's like the tingly feeling in your fingers, uh, blushing, pupils dilating, blood rushing to your genitals, you know, um, which is very different to the psychological experience of desire, which is like your brain agreeing that sex sounds like a good idea right now and that you'd like to have sex, you know, and people can get hard or experience lubrication and still not want to have sex. And I think a com like an easy example of this is like morning erections for penis yes. owners. Yeah. You know, is that like that's often just your body just clearing clearing out the pipes, just making sure everything's still working. 
but it's not necessarily an indication that you want to have sex right then and there you know Mm. Mm. yeah and I've had um people ask me about especially like random erections throughout the day they're like what Mm. is going on like I like I don't think I'm horny but like why is my body doing that and they think that well I must be but like what about this situation is turning on and like because we just haven't been taught about I guess the that desire and arousal aren't the same thing yeah we have we just haven't been taught about how our bodies work essentially yeah I know which which, yeah is um like mind-blowing in and of itself yeah, especially yeah. when that's the only thing they touch on in sex ed. Like, you can at least get it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think they could also be like, yeah, lots of shame when you do have those, like, random spontaneous erections and, like, what it means about who you are, what it means about your sexuality. If there's, like, you know, something happening that you're shameful about or, like, not, uh, like, you're kind of hesitant or scared of, you know. Yeah, and I think it's just important to note because I know a lot of people just make the assumption that if someone has one or the other that that must mean they're aroused um and that yeah I guess it's still always and it kind of like obviously leads into consent then too like it's always important to have a conversation about are you actually turned on right now are you actually experiencing desire um and not just assuming that because a body part's doing something that that means you're good to go yeah yeah and then people can often like mistake that as well just like oh that means I'm ready to go but Mm. then um like just as like a common example of just like when a penis owner gets their erection and they're like in I guess like the foreplay stages of sex they're just like making out touching whatever it is like okay that means I'm ready for penetration now you know but really like yeah your body may be ready for it but it doesn't necessarily mean that your like mind necessarily is caught up to it Yes. And I think it leads to a lot of experiences of like erection difficulties or just like delayed or premature ejaculation because there's that disconnect of our bodies and our minds being in separate stages or separate places. Mm-hmm. And we haven't been able to find that balance or connection. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And like you can still build arousal so much. Like I know people like working with like with a vulva for instance that as soon as it's wet it's good to go but like it can take some vulva owners like yes they might be wet but 20 minutes to actually become fully aroused and actually be able to be fully enjoy the experience and feel everything that they can possibly feel feel sensation in their clitoris and everything but just because it's wet does not mean that and lubricated that you're ready to to just jump into that yeah yeah absolutely like, yeah, I don't think I have anything more to add to that. Just, like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the, I guess, like, misconceptions you got here is that, like, bad sex is a red flag or an ick. And I want to touch on this because so often you'll hear people, like, come back from dates and things and they'll be like, oh, my God, the sex was bad. It's over. Like, you know, mm. it's we're done. We're moving on. Yeah. Next person. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I feel like, I feel like it's been – more of a recent one that I've been seeing pop up as like the concept of X has popped yeah, up as well. Yeah, everywhere now. It's very on yeah. trend. Yeah, and that I feel like we're less tolerant now of people misstepping or mm. not living up to this checklist of what we have in our minds of uh, what is a good partner, what is a good sexual partner, what is a good sexual experience, you know. Um, and I like – the reality is that good sex is a learned skill 
you know, and that each time we have sex with a new person, it's a totally new experience, you know, that we have mm-hmm. to learn about and that is fluid and that's a good thing, you know, and many people, like, and some people can struggle with uh, many aspects of it, you know, the communication or like performance issues or whatever it is. And it's not, I don't think it's a reason enough to just like cut it off and be like, nah, not worth it, not worth my time you know because a lot of like the best sexual experiences are ones that are grown out of um connection and putting the work in Mm -hmm. you know to actually communicate what you want communicate uh what it is you need and giving your partner the opportunity to meet you there Mm. you know yeah and often like the first time you have sex with somebody it's often going to be one of the worst times you have sex with them yeah like you don't know each other's (laughs) bodies you're making so many assumptions you're trying to get a rhythm together or you know do or you're like okay well the last 10 people like this I'll just do that but they might not like it like it's generally going to be the worst time out of all of them and you've got to you've got to build on that and it takes so much communication and work and like sure there's going to be some people you meet where you just have this mind-blowing insane sex and this connection but the reality is for most of your sexual experiences it takes time and work and it's not just something it's like sport you can't just like walk in there and be the best at it like it takes (laughs) time and you got to learn about each partner yeah exactly and I, I think there's also an important piece of like nuance there that it's also like not justification of like uh you feeling like uncomfortable or emotionally or physically unsafe you know Mm -hmm. that when we talk when we say that like bad sex is okay to a degree it's not like that's not absolutely justification for unsafe situations or terrible situations where you're just not feeling heard or listened to or valued as a human being Mm. you know um I think it was a concept that I was sitting with or thinking about talking about like consent as well because obviously there's like this a lot of discourse around consent lately of just like did you consent yes or no black or white you know Mm -hmm. and then when we look at consent of just like this black or white kind of way or this binary it's also just saying like yes I consented but it doesn't necessarily mean that you consented to like the, I guess, particular acts, particular experiences, or I guess the understanding that there is so much more nuance Mm. that underlies all of that. Um, And there was, oh, there was a book that came to mind that is not, that is not going to come to me right now. Mm. Um. But it was just an interesting concept that I hadn't really considered um, around uh, us tolerating bad sex because we consented to the sexual experience, you know? Yeah, yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah, and often people struggle, even if it's not necessarily, like, harmful or anything, but if they're not even just enjoying it, like, because if you're not having sex, you're enjoying yeah. it, you, shouldn't have to, you don't have to put up with that. Like, you don't yeah. have to just, just go through the motions and do that. Or even, like, in my master class night, last night talking about returning to sex after a baby, like, if it's painful, stop. Don't just think, mm. oh, this is normal. Yeah. Or, like, the first time having sex, oh, I heard pain is normal, so I'll just yeah. push through this. Like, I think we very much need to advocate for our voices in the bedroom and that 
yes, even though we're saying like, you know, bad sex shouldn't necessarily be a red flag or an ink, you need to communicate. And if like, you know, yeah. have this communication throughout, advocate for sex that is pleasurable for you. And hopefully, you know, that will align with your partner. Obviously, sometimes if that's, you know, you two partners or pa- more will want all completely different sexual experiences yeah. and it's yeah. not going to align and that's okay too. Um, but I think that's just where communication comes in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, with that, I guess that reevaluating of our standards of good, okay, and bad sex, you know, mm. and that I think our current standards are quite often on the floor you know uh like the bare minimum of like good sex for a lot of people I guess I look a lot of my clients as well when I ask them what good sex is it's just like I want it you know yeah and I'm just like okay like there's there's so much more to a sexual experience than just the fact that you want it Mm -hmm. you know yeah um good sex can be about like how heard you felt how connected you felt how connected to your body you felt you know beyond just like oh I I felt like it was right or I felt like it was I could do it that Mm. time you know yeah yeah absolutely I'd love to know what is something that is orgasmic to you yeah I oh my god lately I think it's been um Olivia Dean's debut album messy I don't know if you know like her music or anything like that but it's like I I love that woman's voice so much Mm -hmm. and it has it's like this gorgeous soulful kind of feeling and it it just feels like spring you know and uh I could listen to her sing like the alphabet or like my tax reports (laughs) or something and like I'd still be like romanced by her so yeah, that I think that's what's been orgasmic for me lately. I love that. I have to go give it a listen. <laughs> um, so where can the Shaggers find you, your content, work, everything? Yeah, so I just released. Uh, or I just kind of put out into the world my little baby uh, website, uh, sexedwithcell.com. Um, it has like updates or like links all of like the media that I work with or do um a lot of my blog posts a lot of like sex and relationships resources um and I also do a lot of my work on Instagram uh at sex with underscore cell that's where you can find me yeah amazing and definitely like your blog I've had to read through it love it your Instagram is so (laughs) great and like it's every time I look at it like it's so aesthetically pleasing like it's just (laughs) from the aesthetics to the information to everything I love it (laughs) yeah yeah I guess like yeah with my brain I don't think I would be committed or just like motivated to do it if it just didn't have nice colors or didn't have like nice little infographics um yeah so yes I, I I love it a lot it's um a great part of my work um which I really enjoy at this moment yeah that's good well thank you so much for coming on and chatting about this with me today as always shaggers please reach out if any comments questions or stories either through my instagram at that's orgasmic or my email emily duncan at that's orgasmic.com please subscribe whatever platform you still listen to this podcast and leave a review as i'd love to know what you're thinking so thank you shaggers and i'll see you next time (gasps) 